Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based resource designed to ask the provocative questions of whether, and indeed if so how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Lee Battle and I am a United Reformed Church minister currently serving in an ecumenical setting here in Cardiff. Each week I am joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today I am so pleased to welcome the Reverend Ian Rutherford. Ian is a city centre minister based at Central Hall in Manchester. Ian is really committed to civic engagement and social justice with his current priorities in Greater Manchester being homeless, homelessness and housing, food security, refugee support, challenging hate crime and the cost of living crisis, and also the response and how uh, to climate change. Ian is also the faith sector lead on homelessness and housing and on food security for Mayor Andy Burnham and is on the national leadership team of both Citizens UK and Movement for Recovery. And so with all that, welcome Ian. Um, I think your biography speaks the answer to this question before we get there, but politics in the pulpit, what does that mean for you? And can you tell us a bit about yourself and whether or not you see yourself as a pulpit politician? Well, Lee, it's fantastic to be with you. And uh, it was wonderful to work with you when you were in Manchester. <laughs> uh, and certainly it's a thrill to be able to, uh, to be with everyone today. Um, well, politics is about the whole of life, education, health, money. It covers everything. So as Christian ministers, we have to be engaged in the political side of things. And as you've mentioned, um, my particular role here enables me to engage with civic authorities, business sector and voluntary sector to look at the sort of prevailing social issues of the day. And it seems to me that to be able to speak from scripture into those situations and to bring the wisdom of God into those places is precisely why um, I, I, I exist in a sense uh, yeah. in, this, in this space. So yeah, from my point of view, um, it is something that, uh, in relation to the to the text for today, uh, they they relate so strongly to the things that I'm working with on a day to day basis with the people here in Greater Manchester. Yeah, very much so. I always find that so. It still jars me when you see how relevant um, so much of the text that we're working through. And I think as we uh, approach text weekly, as as kind of preaching from the lectionary, you really do get that sense um, of just it being a different time, but we're still humans and we're still all in kind of the same, not the same situations obviously, but we still respond in, in same ways to dif different situations. Um, I so agree, I agree. Opinion, and I think, I think the fact that, you know, that the, the word of God is living and yeah. active. So even though the texts go back many hundreds of years, they're still absolutely on point for the things that we need to do. This idea of being a sharp sword, 
that gets into the marrow and the bone of everything to do with life is really is really massive and you know it is a challenging thing um and that's what we're going to find today i think as we go through our lectionary texts yeah very much and i think as we include kind of our contexts into it as well um it it really does bring that sense of it being a very living word and and still so relevant and still has so much to speak into how us as christians and and as people um how we respond both to god and the context around us um so what would you want to hear us to hear today about the key justice issues going on for you at the moment as a methodist minister working right in the center of manchester well this is where it gets really scary doesn't it because it seems to me that my main um issues to, at the moment are the housing crisis yeah. Um, and the cost of living crisis. Um, and also the fact that we have a, a city that is doing really well um, as, a, as a sort of developing place, but the life chances of people uh, are still not the way that they should be within, yeah. within our city here, and that's across the whole of the UK. So yeah. it's interesting that our three scriptures are going to be about the housing crisis, yeah. the dangers of capitalism, and the cost of living crisis. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, we're right there, aren't we? Yeah, of course. And so when you say the housing crisis, explain a bit more about that from the context of where you are. Is it not enough housing, not good enough housing? How does that play out for you in Manchester? Well, I think as people may have, have heard, um, here in Manchester, we've been operating a scheme called A Better Every Night, which has been able to see a complete sharp fall in those who have been uh, rough sleeping or, or living in temporary accommodation. Um, and that has brought the figures on homelessness right down. But yeah. there's a sense in which we're sort of managing homelessness, which yeah. is not what we should be doing. No. We should be bringing people into homes, safe, secure and warm homes. Yeah. And the fact is, Lee, that there just isn't enough property for that situation, for people to have a truly affordable place to be, to have as a home. And so until we get to the point where we're building more homes, where we yeah. are actually making more places available as homes, um, we're just not going to get there. And there will yeah. always be people coming onto the streets we're going to find because of the cost of living crisis, yeah. that there will be more people that will be coming onto our streets. So we'll continue to manage homelessness but that's not what we're here for we're here no, no. to bring people into a safe and secure place where they can have agency and choice for themselves that's yeah. where we need to be so it's going to be a continual issue mm. well um my colleagues at uh, the joint public issues team have also issued given us a roundup of uh, other events going on and uh, things in our context that we might want to be aware of this week through our conversations and so obviously we can't start without acknowledging and talking about in some way, shape or form uh, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth yesterday. Um, and I'm sure we will get on to that in our in our readings, because uh, I don't know for you, it, it, there was a level of discomfort about it when I put the readings together with it. 
We also have Parliament sitting until Friday only before they break up for their party conferences. And so Liz Trust is actually making a statement to the UN today. We also have the ongoing violence in Ukraine, um, also the violence in Leicester over the weekend and the riots between the Muslim and Hindu communities. We're also in the season of creation and it is World Week for Peace in Israel and Palestine. And on Wednesday, um, it is the UN International Day of Peace. And so we have so much to feed into these readings today. And so start us off, Ian, where do you want us to begin with? Well, I'd like us to go, first of all, to Jeremiah chapter 32. Yeah. Um, as soon as I pulled this one up, I, I really did chuckle to myself because before I was a minister, um, I was a commercial solicitor for uh, almost oh, 30 right. years, okay. um, particularly involved in construction towards the end of my career there. Okay. Um, and so, therefore, to actually have um, a, a text that relates to the purchase of a property yeah, and the prospect yeah. of building a home um, was actually quite weird because obviously the number of deeds that, are, that I've dealt with, I haven't put them in no other way jars. No, but, I was uh, about to say, I assume but, but I've certainly somewhere. had signed and witnessed and sealed and delivered so many uh, documents in my in my life. So it was quite funny that I was going to be talking about a document that had to be put in a nowhere jar. But if you read this text, the most amazing part of it for me is that it is the worst property deal in history. Yeah. Um, I mean, essentially, why would Jeremiah want to buy a piece of property that in a matter of no time is going to become worthless? No. When the Babylonians break down the city walls, all the property in Jerusalem and all of Judah would be absolutely worthless. So yeah. why would Jeremiah give up his hard-earned cash to do yeah. such a thing? Yeah. Unless God has something in mind, and he does have something in mind. In verse 15, thus yeah. says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Yeah. So for me, what comes out of this reading is this sense of hope, yeah, very um, much. And that redemption is the final word, not judgment. Even in the darkest hour, there is a seed of hope. And so I see this as very much a sermon for the housing crisis. Okay. Um, and how we as church need to think about our own property. Yeah. It might look like some weird decisions that we have to make, but okay. we might be able, just may, might be able to assist within this housing crisis. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating um, that that we have to look at this text and understand that Jeremiah is being kept prisoner at, at this point. Um, and, and so how do you go from being a prisoner to then being able to make a purchase of land? And it, it strikes me very much that it is this sense of um, Jeremiah is in a really difficult place, is been kept captive somewhere else, is been moved into the king's court to be uh, so that he can be watched and kind of guarded over more closely. But all in the backdrop of this knowing what's coming, it, you know, like we say, like with the cost of it, it's watching what's coming into you. And for me, like you say, there's so much hope. 
that in the middle of that, he buys a field that talks about the prophecy of the returning of all of this to Israel. If you can just get through, well, not get through because that that lessens the horrors of the exile, but um, that despite all of this, God is still there. Yeah, and and I mean, I think there's something about the fact that this is maybe even a bit different for for Jeremiah. I mean, he's always been very theatrical, done a lot of stuff with objects uh, in the past. This time he wants to record it so meticulously and sort of he counts out all of those bits of silver. He has the scales, he Mm. has the deed, he has the earthenware jar. It's all very theatrical, but this time he isn't the gloomy prophet. There's actually something really positive about the way he says it might look as if it's all a mess, but actually this is what God is going to do. And the sense that we can feel under siege sometimes, I think. Yeah. But actually, you know, there, there is something coming that God yeah. will bring about for us. And and I, I feel this way about the about the housing crisis, to be fairly. Yeah. It does seem to me that we need, as the church, to see what our contribution might be. We're not going to have to do it theatrically. We don't have to sort of show everybody what we're doing like Jeremiah did but we need to think about our property our land our buildings our redundant manses and vicarages our empty churches and we have to ask the question can we sow a seed of hope Um, I'm very conscious that housing justice do an amazing thing called faith and affordable housing and it seems to me that that's the sort of place where we need to be pointing people at the at the back end of this sermon on the housing crisis to say there are things that we can do. There are signs of hope that we can be engaged with. And of course, Isaiah 58 brings about that same sense of, of purpose when, he, yeah. when, when, when Isaiah says, you will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. We have to be positive about yeah. what we might be able to contribute as church into the yeah. housing crisis. Yeah, and I think also not stand back and lean back on just words you know we talk about jeremiah being this prophet this messenger from god but here he is right when it's going to get really difficult actually making a physical action there's it's not this kind of word prophecy it's here we are this is happening and i'm doing this for that Um, and I think sometimes we easily say words about hope but find it difficult to actually back it up with real action Um, and uh, you know I've said before on this podcast we are in a position where we have to take some sort of action and like you say you know the church the churches are often very building rich even if um they're not kind of money rich they they are so wealthy in manses in church space in community space um and in a time where that those places of community gathering are lessening and lessening we're often right there in the heart of it and able to offer something I mean, I love, I love the way that you're presenting it like that, Lee, because it does seem to me that 
you know, in the Methodist church, for instance, we have got a connectional property strategy, which yeah. says the words. It says that when it comes to the end of maybe a church's life or a, a manse's need, you actually think to yourself, what social use can we make of this property? Can we maybe yeah. make it available for affordable housing? So the words are there and the question is, is raised, but there needs to be an action of hope. Yeah. Then says we will do this. We will make this contribution. Mm. And that's what I plead for um, regularly to our yeah. church nationally and any church nationally. Yeah. Yeah. Should we turn to the to the next the next text? Yeah, go on. Where yeah, so I, I thought we might look at the first Timothy text. So that's okay. one Timothy six, yeah, um, verses six to ten. Um, and I guess what was striking me as I was reading it very very much so was these are sort of the the questions that I suppose as a country we're asking ourselves at the moment about yeah. the, the, the 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 big money that we've got or the tiny bit of money that we've got depending on where we sit within the spectrum of wealth within this country yeah and I suppose it also features into our approach to capitalism and yeah. what we think of it and maybe what we want to challenge in relation to this um I mean certainly for me um this is a, a huge challenge to this that this text is a huge challenge to a yeah. capitalist yeah. mindset to a a mindset that talks about the free market as though yeah. that's going to be the, um, the the thing that will sort everything out. And of course, there is within scripture all of those warnings about the dangers of wealth. And yeah. I think this particular text actually um, gives us some ideas how we can gain freedom from the trap of loving wealth. Yeah. And it talks about pursuing godliness, talks about learning contentment, developing an eternal perspective. Um, and actually understanding that we must learn to live simply, yeah. recognise the dangers of desiring wealth. So all of those things are really sort of quite strong propositional things for us to, to hear. Yeah. I want to go on to something a bit different when we perhaps go into the text a bit more, because propositions will not be enough to get us to understand what the dangers of wealth and wealth creation for its own sake can be. Yeah, yeah. The word that really fascinated me in all of this is, you know, there's this language of fight the good fight and all of that. But yet at the end of um, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. And, and that word gentleness um, really struck me when you place it in the terms of fight in the good fight and how often gentleness is not a feature in our in the capitalist market and it, it in the way that we're trapped and and struggle to respond to it um gentleness just doesn't fit that you know when when we look at how um the, the climate riots and things like that it almost feels like you can't be gentle because you're not going to be heard otherwise um but it is that um how one person views it to how another person views it and I think certainly seeing some of the policies that Liz Truss is uh proposing uh, is really really uh creating concern 
about how much further we're moving in to allowing money to be the absolute boss of our politics um, and how, you know, President Biden wouldn't meet with her yesterday uh, because apparently the chief of staff that she has is under investigation for the FBI uh, as part of um, something to do with Donald Trump. And it just feels like, where do you gain the hope in this? That somehow gentleness feels like a luxury we're not afforded anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's this, I think what you've just said is the important bit because the verse that says, uh, command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty yeah. or to set their hope on riches because that's uncertain but to set that hope on God who richly provides us with all things for our enjoyment. Yeah. It's the question of where you put your trust, where you put your hope in yeah. relation to all of this. But I mean, I think for me that the real salutary bit is when the reference in this particular chapter to um, the love of money is the yeah. root of all evils. Yeah. Not money itself, but the love of money. Yeah. And I mean, you've only got to look at some of the present evils that we are considering at the moment so the excessive profits of the oil and gas companies yeah. versus that rise in energy prices that make us all look at our bill and say can it really have gone up that much yeah and then you've got the um, the bonuses and the salary increases of company bosses versus the failure to pay the real living wage to workers yeah so people are saying we really can't afford to pay the real living wage well how come when you can afford to pay those bonuses and those salary increases to those who are the, the bosses. And yeah. then I think for me, the hardest one was all of those profits that were taken in the PPE contracts during the COVID yeah. crisis versus the refusal still to pay health and care workers appropriately. Yeah. The final one for me, the dividends that we pay to private rail companies versus the crippling rise in ticket prices, the cancellations in our timetables, and just not being prepared to negotiate with the unions on a proper cost of living pay increase. Yeah. If there ever was, you know, you just take all of those stories, which are causing such concern to people at the moment, and say, there's the verse that tells you what it's all about, because yeah. those are evils that yeah. we need to be addressing. And that's why I guess we do pray for our prime minister and the government that they will take the right decisions at this particular time. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you look at the rises and things and against, like you say, the NHS staff who who put their lives on the line during um, the pandemic and, and things like that. And, and it's actually not even a, we can cut back on this to create that. There isn't even, we haven't even got the luxury of saying we can cut this back to make sure we can make that. What's so frightening is this sense of we just haven't got this. Whichever way we try to do this, we cannot make ends meet. And how utterly terrifying. Um, and it just dehumanises you um, because you know there is a way of actually making this, uh, making this okay that it just takes a few concessions and a bit of 
you know, I say that very easily, you just make a few concessions and therefore it's all done. You know, I know, I understand it's much more complicated than that, but how far is the love of money going to go ahead of actual humanity? And that's what terrifies me from this reading and from where we're, where we seem to be heading now. Yeah, and I think it's that's the bit that really comes very strongly in relation to, in the end, when you die, you don't take any money with you. No. It, it's left for others. Mm. And there was something very profound, it seems to me, yesterday in the funeral, when at the end of the committal um, at Windsor, um, those elements of um, the Queen's... Um, um, position were yeah. taken from her coffin and put onto the altar before God yeah. Um, yeah. as a bit of an indication that, you know, you go Christian soul uh, from this place uh, into, into, into glory, yeah. but you don't take wealth with you. No. And that was a really good thing to see, but equally I found it incredibly jarring too, that we are in this position and just the sheer spectacle of wealth yesterday. Um, although I think there was a sense of her strength um, of faith and her steadfastness um, actually being the hallmarks of her as a person and that in a sense she was in the trappings of monarchy um, and the, the trappings of kind of what it is to, to have a monarchy and be a monarch um, and whether she would personally, if this was, you know, her actual decision, um, have stayed in that level of wealth. But we can't also ignore how much yesterday cost versus uh, it, it felt, I understand tradition and I understand the importance of the event, um, but it, it very much also felt like a luxury that didn't need to be so luxurious, you know? Did, did, does that make sense to you? Did you feel the same? No, I, can, I, can, I think we just have to hear um, everyone's responses to, to this whole period. Um, because there are there is a spectrum of thought, isn't there, in relation yeah. to all of this? I suppose the fact the fact of the matter is you you need to to then in the in in the in, in the light of the financial decisions that need to be taken by all of us in, across mm. the world um, have to be more progressive in the way that you consider the way that this this whole um, wealth creation needs to be put to one side. Yeah. Um, and there must be more just sharing. So I suppose my my lens whenever I preach and whenever I look at scripture is mm. the fair and the just society and yeah. the living with justice and righteousness as being the hallmark of what we do. And as I said to you earlier, this particular text has got the sort of propositions that you sort of might need to help you to understand the principles of it. But propositions are never enough. There yeah. has to be a heart reaction to all of this and there needs to then be an, an opening up of one's heart into yeah. a more progressive place and I suppose 
that's where the loop reading is going to help us because it does yeah, give us yeah, yeah. a bit of an understanding of where we might need to go. Yeah, feel free to dive into that. I think I think like I think we've reached that very natural link with it. Yeah, I thought I thought that when you were saying what you were saying. So, I mean, Luke 16, um, 19 to 31, uh, the story of the rich man uh, and Lazarus. Mm. The poor man gets the name, not the rich yeah. one. Um, it's a it's a real salutary parable for the cost yeah. of living crisis, Lee, in my view. It's a it's a holy critique of trickle down economics. Okay. Because trickle down economics don't bring no. the right stuff to those who are living and struggling with poverty. This is a massive thing for, for the church to be speaking into at this particular time. Yeah. Uh, as we as you were saying in the introduction, at this moment there are so many multiple things that are happening that you need to ask the question, where is wisdom from God that might be able to help? Mm. Well, recently you may know that the the Hirsch report has been produced, um, commissioned by Gordon Brown, facilitated by John Public Issues team, and okay. over 56 uh, faith and charity leaders and Metro mayors have endorsed that report that basically says to the government, what you've done so far is simply not enough for yeah. everyone to have enough to live in the UK. So you need to do more targeted support um, now, that in itself is the sort of storyline that we've got within, this, within yeah. this parable of the rich man who just seems completely blissfully unaware yeah. of the person at the gate who is in such dire needs. And there is no sense of targeting any support into that situation no. until it's too late. And then when he's thinking back at what he might have done to help it's yeah. too, too late. Um, obviously, what we're asking in that, in that sort of plea to the government is for dignity, agency and power yeah. for all of those that are really struggling at the moment, not handouts. It's interesting to me that we've moved away from the language of social security. Yeah. We moved to the language of benefits and now we've moved to the language of handouts. This yeah. is just not the way that we should be. And so in this coming week, we're going to be writing again to the Prime Minister um, to basically say, you need to get this right. Um, you need to be following um, this, this line of argument that targeted support is needed, not a, not a sort of a, a random, just a, yeah. a straightforward payment. It needs to be targeted support for the actual needs of the people that we've got in our country yeah. I mean, if you look at the scriptures, I mean, they're full of it. Going back to Isaiah 58 again, you can see that's my life text, really. Share your food with the hungry. Provide yeah. the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them. Do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. These are all the scriptures that, you know, last, um, uh, that the rich man would have known, but just yeah. didn't follow. Yeah. Um, and Lazarus is there as an example of somebody sitting there within this particular crisis yeah. uh, that we are that we're dealing with at the moment. So it's a very powerful, powerful yeah. story for us. Yeah, and even the way that he's portrayed as the dogs even coming to lick him, you know, he really is portrayed as, I guess, at that time the lowest of the low um, in society, and yet the rich man would have had some sort of obligation 
to have looked after him. But I think there's almost this sense of he doesn't actually see him. He doesn't exist. And how when we are kind of bumbling along and everything's okay and we've got no worries, how little we see of the world around us, because it is that danger of contentment that uh, if I'm all right, so therefore we get this kind of um, wrong feeling that everything's all right and it's not. And I think we struggle to look out beyond ourselves. Uh, and this for me is, is that just as you were saying about the language that we've used around the benefit system and things like that, is how we still equate wealth as a virtue and, and how we as churches need to be challenging this with every fibre of our being. Because what really, um, what people don't understand is um, we have this language of handouts and that people are lazy and that they are given things so that they don't need to go out and and that there's no incentive to go out and work it is absolutely draining it's it you feel like nothing and actually living in poverty is such hard work to make ends meet in any realistic way and that's before you get to what that does to your mental self, to what that does to your own sense of well-being. Um, and how once all those start to collapse, how difficult it is to get back up, um, to be able to get back up. And what we're doing, it seems to me, is we're tipping people into the well, but actually no, not switching on a light or creating any steps that says we get this, this is so, so tough. Um, and, and to get away from this language of blame and feeling like that somebody's dignity is ours to give, it's not. Everybody has inherent dignity. It, it's not for us to say, here's you, I'll give you this and there's your dignity. You know, it, it's so it's so demeaning the way that we the, not, well, not the way that society has ended up treating its poor. And this, like you say, is the perfect reading to actually say, wake up. This this is about today. This is about now. Um, because we all can have that benefit of hindsight of going, oh, I should have done that, just like the rich man does here. And here's a warning to my other rich people to tell them to avoid it. Um, it, it these shouldn't even be judgment calls on our part. We should just be learning and understanding about what it will take to actually be helpful here. I agree. And I think what, one of the things that you've just said there, Lee, is sort of showing that separation and division that this puts in between people yeah. in relation to this. And um, I, I found, I mean, Jesus, when he, whenever he, he speaks like this, he always has fantastic 
pictures that he yeah. paints. And, you know, it's, I mean, I'm a visual learner, so I love the way that he's got this, this picture painted for us now because he talks about the gate, then he talks about the chasm. Yeah. So what were gates in this, in this life become chasms in the, in the life to come? Um, but they're actually the same thing. Um, so the chasm that separates Lazarus and the rich man in the next world is actually just a manifestation of the gate that separated them in this world, because the gate actually is the condition of the human heart. Um, the gate that becomes a chasm actually exists within us before it exists between us. So we've got to examine our own hearts yes. when we read this scripture. We're not going to say, are we the rich man or are we Lazarus? That's not what we're asked to do. We're asked to say, what are the gates that we've got within us that separate us from ourselves, from our neighbours, from our enemies, for those we love, and actually ultimately God? And what gates do we live with? Every time that we love our neighbour as ourselves, every time we love our enemies, every time we see and treat one another as created in the image and likeness of God, then the gates are opened and the chasms are filled. It's not easy work, but it is possible. And that's the hope that I think comes out of this reading for us. Wow. You know, we just, we, we just leave, leave the whole sort of caricature out of it as the rich and the poor. But we ask the question, where is our heart at the moment for those that are going through it in the cost of living crisis? We need to be alongside the poor. I've got a couple of quotes that I was thinking about that I wanted to, to mention to you. One of, my, one of my heroes is Rich Mullins, uh, the singer. He died 25 years ago this week in a tragic car accident. Here's one of his quotes. Christianity is not about building an absolutely secure little niche in the world. Christianity is about learning to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus loved the poor and Jesus loved the broken. This, I know, will go against the teachings of all the pop popular evangelical preachers, but they're wrong. They're not bad. They're just wrong. Um, and I love the way he talks as a ragamuffin, as he would call himself. But St. John Chrysostom, whose day it was last week, he said this, not to share our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but theirs. Wow. So those that two is... things, Rich and St. John, yeah. speak to us very powerfully from this, um, this parable in Luke, where Jesus basically says, open your hearts to the poor. It's so profound, isn't it? And so difficult. And yeah, just... Thank you, Ian, so much uh, for coming on and sharing your uh, immense wisdom and passion and reflections with us today. Thank you to everyone else who's joined us to ask whether or how we should preach politics in the pulpit this week. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We love to have an ongoing conversation with our listeners about faith and politics. So do join in on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics 
or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit or on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team Facebook page and on their website, jointpublicissues.org.uk. So the question I leave you with, with from this week, where are your gates and what will it take for us to collectively and individually open our hearts and open ourselves so that we are manifesting the love of God around us. Like I say, let us know your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook, and I leave you with a blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, Help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen.